the civil war in 1975 was probably easier to understand mm. than the civil war in 1988. Mm -hmm. The players had changed, the, the, the regional landscape had changed, and 15 years later it's hard to tell what that war was fought for. And then the, Lebanon finds itself under indirect foreign rule. It's been almost 15 years since that event, 2005. Do you see a similar outcome resulting? In, in other words, there's no civil war since 2005. There's been, the violence has been contained when it comes to events that we're aware of, July 2006, or even the brief, brief in, uh, domestic problems here, but it's not been a civil war. But it's been 15 years of turning into something very different. Do you think Lebanon is now in its next phase of this period will lead to something that may result in, once again, indirect foreign influence? I think everybody agrees, all political parties on both sides of the political spectrum, agree that they don't want to go back to the days of the civil war. Right. Nobody wants you know, a, a full because uh, I know men, it led to something yeah, yeah, horrible, think, but exactly. February 2005 didn't. So the, I don't think it's different in that sense. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a confessional, uh, or at least the confessional tensions will most probably not um, flare into a, a, a war. Right. Uh, there are confessional tensions existing still today. But uh, what's more, I think, uh, striking is that everybody wants all the political parties are not resorting to weaponry yes. to resolve these confessional tensions. Now, you have here and there some flare-ups, of course, but they, they're much more uh, concerned about repercussions of any flare-up on on Lebanon as a country than they were back uh, in the you know 70s or 80s or 90s, so it's a different mindset. Although uh, that's wh what I hope. What least. about the consequence though? That despite there being no domestic fighting, no no checkpoints on street corners, none of that, but that Lebanon is restabilizing under indirect rule once again. That, in other words, the dreams of the people that we both admire have maybe not been fulfilled. Sure, yeah. but we have to define who the people are. Mm -hmm. Half of the people, their dream has been fulfilled, probably. Mm. That's a, uh, So if yeah. you, you cannot look at it from, again, from a 14 and 8th of March kind of division. The divisions have changed now. Yes. Okay. So there are people, and a big chunk of the Lebanese people, who don't see any problem with being aligned with a certain regional country, while some believe that, no, this is not acceptable. Uh, so it's, it's, it's regional polarization, or it's not confessional per se. It's no longer confession, and that's good. That's the positive right. Right. Uh, element uh, behind what we see today. It's a different kind of, uh, you know, of a line that separates the two camps from each other. And for me, at least, that's a relief. 
at least yeah. no longer confessional. It's much more linked to regional uh, and power plays being acted out in Lebanon. And projecting further that Lebanon's curse is that it is in a very complicated sure. region, even in the best of times. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing what's happening now in terms of the Syrian crisis, in terms of the uh, deal of the century, in terms of uh, <laughs> you know the Iranian-Russian uh, uh, you know whatever flare up. I mean, so many events are happening around us. This small country called Lebanon, you have a boiling region, and uh, we're we're lucky that at least uh, we have not borne the full repercussions of what is happening around us. We sort of been able to uh, uh, neutralize ourselves from a large part of, of the negative developments. Of the uh, internal? Yeah. Would you say, would you include the regional in that? Uh... Listen, I mean, we could have been in a much worse situation. So it's really today, as someone in your position mm. who's, who does have authority in Lebanon, mm. is it more to do with keeping what's left of the state functioning, then we will have a stronger, healthier state for our children and grandchildren. The way I, I look at it is, you know, uh, I know that we're not in the, in the optimal mm -hmm. uh, mode for the government, that we know. I mean, yeah. I would be, uh, it would be a joke if I tell you otherwise. Uh, but the way I see it, I know that we have a huge task ahead of us. Uh, it's important to at least regain the trust of the people, which has been absent for a long time. Trust uh, of people towards their government and the kinds of services they deliver. Ha having worked within the public sector domain for 30 years and seeing what we could do, it's a I won't accept to say I give up on this country. So we have to try. It's not, a, it's not a, an easy task, I know that. Uh, there's so much to do, so much challenges that we have to untangle, but at least we try. We have to project a different image, and that's what I'm trying to do. In my, my subjective opinion, you are, I think, delivering on a promise many Lebanese women believed in and weren't in the position to persuade that they believed it firmly men too but this was really this was an occasion you're the first female finance minister in this country you're the first female minister of interior for the region and people are applying i hope the respect and the judgment for your work not for your gender which is very positive and I mean it's not just about customs at the airport where you see a few women mm -hmm. or it's not just about the occasional you know woman that you see in uniform I think you're sending the message that everyone in this country is part of the good and the bad mm -hmm. and half of the population is as responsible and should be up to the task mm -hmm. that I know you're you've done that well you've also I think put Tripoli back on the map Tripoli may be a harder <laughs> issue, sure. 
which is quite tragic. It's mm -hmm. harder than em full emancipation and respect for women in this country. Um, but the point I'm driving at is even if the most decent person given a huge portfolio is shackled from issues that are beyond their, beyond their control, and do you think every phase of your career in Lebanon has been shackled because of events, because of concerns, whether they're domestic or regional, that your, your output is curtailed because of the environment of this country? Yeah, sure. Can you, can you, point, to, can you point to a specific accomplishment that you were able to overcome, aside from some symbolism, that you were able to say, you know what, I can actually, I can outride this, I can influence, I can direct, and I'll be, for a moment, I'm stronger than all this. There are many that I, that I think, listen, the Ministry of, uh, of Interior, uh, there are many portfolios uh, that we can address uh, that probably there will not be any contention around. You know, simple stuff, not simple really. For example, we're now working on issuing the unique ID for the Lebanese. Mm -hmm. Now, who would be against that? Yeah. Nobody would be against that, so we can do that. Um, we can, uh, for example, uh, implement uh, a more community-driven municipal police. Who would be against that? Right. Nobody would be against that. So, no, there are many examples in the ministry uh, that uh, changes uh, the image, that is reform-oriented, mm -hmm. and that uh, is not contentious enough so that people will basically say or, uh, you know, try to put any kind of, uh, of you know, arguments against. Well, I think there are, there are many things we can do. Could Not the, maybe the, the, the major, major, yeah. major, but s certain reform projects, definitely there is room to do that. Could I play devil's advocate and say that it's only the bare necessities of what's at stake that can be accomplished, like an ID or like municipal police? But the projects that would reestablish Lebanese sovereignty are perhaps not possible at this stage. You can work on um, basically on the security agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, of course Which I know you you're trying. That. You're you're trying to. I'm, I, it's not really, me only. I yeah. mean, for the last three four years, the security agencies within the internal security force has done a huge job. Yes. And nobody can uh, say otherwise. Mm -hmm. I, I think we the the information unit within the ISF has been able uh, to uh, try to stop any 30, yeah. around 30 uh, terrorist attempts uh, in, in Lebanon. And that's because for the last six, seven years, uh, the, they've been supported. Uh, they've uh, enhanced their capacities, their intelligence capacities. Uh, they've been, uh, I mean, their equipment has, has you know, been very uh, much, you know, uh, upgraded. So they've done a wonderful job. And uh, this is not just by my own account, by the account of uh, in the international community. We even give intelligence 
information to other uh, intelligence units abroad. Yeah. That's how much uh, the ISF has improved uh, in, in combating terrorism and uh, uh, you know, in ensuring that the security situation today is what it is. It is much better, uh, and you know, we are living in a in a calm country. <laughs> we'll get back to security in a moment, but how about something that you experienced in in your previous role as a finance minister, the economic insecurity today. This is a difficult chapter in Lebanon's history. As a former minister of finance, are you able to sort of say with maybe some perspective that there are issues that can be addressed, but they're not? And it's maybe a more policy problem than a than a finance issue. And what I mean here is there have been many finance ministers in this country and there has been many economic problems in this country. But are you able to offer any solutions, having been in it and now out, having worked in the private sector and the public sector? If you were sent back to the finance ministry, is there anything you would do at this moment? It's not what should be done, it's when and how. That's our problem in Lebanon. So we know what need to do, what need to, we need to do, uh, and that has been uh, basically uh, part of it. At least has been uh, submitted to the international donor community, against which we got 11 billion dollars in, in concessional uh, financing and and uh, other kinds of uh, assistance. So we know what needs to be done. We need to do to reduce our budget deficit, we need to implement structural reforms, we need to basically execute a, a capital investment program, we need to do this and that. So the roadmap ha has been agreed upon. So if we put a technocrat today in the Ministry of Finance and said, okay, these are the things you need to do, would they be able to implement those? Not as easily as one would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's not what needs to be done, um, more or less the the major problems, we know how to tackle them. Mm. It's when you come down to the details of who will do what, yeah. uh, when, um, what is the, the monitoring mechanism, uh, this should be done in what area, in what region, this is where uh, I think the, the complications arise. So it's not just uh, the, the Minister of Finance who's completely accountable or responsible for implementing a whole reform program or an economic yeah. plan for the government. It's basically the whole Council of Ministers. Yeah. It's over and above the Council of Ministers, it's the parliament. Um, and that's where, where you have different agendas, I think, because we have to admit um, we haven't yet decided what Lebanon we want, economically at least. <clears throat> there are divergent uh, economic ideologies within Lebanon. Some people are more, <clears throat> you know, they believe in, in a greater role for the state. Some believe for, uh, in a greater role for the private sector. That's just giving you one example. Uh, some believe that we need to uh, basically introduce more um, excises in order to protect the local economy. Others believe in more trade liberalization. So this kind of discussion 
finally, is even taking place internationally. Uh, this, uh, see what uh, I mean. Uh, yes. President Trump is doing. Yes. So this this whole rethinking uh, of the capitalist uh, open market kind of economy is being even rethought by some of the world leaders. Yeah. And uh, so we're 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 doing that kind of discussion also at a much uh, you know lower level, but this takes place. Uh, so we don't have a majority and the opposition kind of setup. So it's sure. a consensual kind of uh, political system, and that's where I think there yes. becomes uh, the whole thing becomes more complicated. In the states, you know, the majority rules and the opposition or the minority opposes. But in Lebanon, since we need to agree on everything. You know these divergent, uh, divergent uh, economic ideologies uh, come into play, and uh, if we don't agree, then things don't get implemented. The makeup of the country doesn't really allow for mm -hmm. that anyway. You're right, consensual mm -hmm. power sharing and all that. We have policy on one end, which is the finance ministry, and then we have law and order, mm -hmm. which I think falls now under your portfolio. And I'm just going to tackle a few subjects that. I think most people that live in Beirut see on a day-to-day -day basis and they ignore. Um, it's the Minister of Interior and Municipalities. Mm. And I, I'm curious, I've heard you say that there are basic issues you want to tackle. Mm. And this includes the traffic mm. of not just Beirut, but mm. the country, and the dangerous driving situation and the lack of, I think, any alternative to driving and risking your life on the highway. Mm going north to a city we're both from, I mean, this is at times extremely dangerous. Have you seen any tangible improvements since you assumed this role? I know it's not just traffic lights, because you can put traffic lights and people won't follow them. You can put police on the highway, and it doesn't matter, you'll still have reckless drivers. Have you been able to jump I've at this? I've been trying to get my... Um, uh, Car return from the dealership? No, no my hand on, on, on what are the real problems, okay? So it's not just one or two. This is a multi-sectoral kind of problem. So take traffic, for example. So obviously, uh, the Ministry of Interior has a role to play uh, in terms of the... Uh, at least the dimension of the traffic safety and also registration of cars. Yes. Yeah. But uh, it's the Ministry of Public Works and Transportation that has to put forward a whole transportation plan. Of course. Is there, is there a healthy relationship between the two ministries? To a certain extent, yes. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, yes. But and not necessarily politically healthy. I mean, just in terms of day-to-day communication and... The first step is for the Ministry, and we're talking about it today, the Ministry of uh, Transportation has to put forward a, a plan, okay? We have to really address the core problems in, in traffic congestion in Lebanon. Uh, and without a public transportation plan, this cannot be addressed fully, I not even partially. You know, I had an interview recently with a fan of the train network that's, of mm -hmm. course, now gone. And it's a... It's Partial nostalgia, but partial reflection, because we had a sophisticated public transportation network. Trains feeding into trams, 
a bus station that never opened to its full extent, Charlhello. It's very strange to keep driving by it and see it empty and deserted. And it's a very small country that has a lot of um, wiggling space mm. to build something that works here, mm. and it's not done. But let's say minus a plan, mm. is it something that's just unfeasible? You no, we can do we can do small stuff, and, uh, and I'm trying to do that. For example, uh, things like uh, getting more uh, or having the municipal police play a much larger role and yeah. at least ensuring a, s- a smoother circulation of cars within Beirut. This is something I can do. Um, I can ensure that all uh, unregistered drivers uh, come into the system. Yes. I can ensure that the motorcycle drivers um, are also uh, not driving uh, based on fake IDs and, and fake registration, uh, you know, whatever, permits and stuff like that. There are small stuff that could be done that could at least alleviate some of the problem. However, to, to address it mm. at a score, no, you need to address the, the huge flow of cars that is coming from the south and from the north into a capital that is small. You have thousands and thousands of cars that drive every day from the north and from the south and enter at one point in time or through a defined period to to Beirut. And Beirut is not uh, does not have the absorptive capacity for such amounts of cars. I think there's at least three hours of the day in Beirut where you're better off just not yeah. just waiting and wait. So we're working, the, municipal, the Beirut municipality is working on a traffic flow plan yes. for, for Beirut. But is traffic safety directly under your portfolio? Yes, uh, it is and it is and it's not actually. Can I, can I just give you a subjective example? I drove down from Tripoli yeah. and I think uh, at least three suicide drivers drove by and you know exactly what I'm yeah. talking about. And this is, they get away with it. And I know there's no one I can call because even if I called, nothing will happen. And I say this with somebody who wants to call someone and report, but the risk of getting that person in trouble is higher than actually calling. (laughs) And the other issue I got uh, on the way here, got hit by a scooter. Of course, it just drives away. Mm. I'm not going to chase the scooter down with my own car. I don't think the police will even bother. And that's, I say this, someone who wants the police to get that guy. And this is somebody with maybe some, I'm, I'm speaking in a place of privilege that I can afford to fix the car, that I can, I can, I can let it go. But for the day-to-day traffic, the day-to-day issue, it's, it's hell. Of course. What? It is hell. Uh, let me uh, first of all, there are. And I know it's all over the place. It's here, all over yeah. the place because uh, obviously traffic safety is. I'm as minister of interior. I had the traffic safety commission, mm. but the traffic safety commission has to report to a ministerial committee, uh, which has many of the different ministries uh, basically represented there. So it is public uh, health, it is transportation, it is interior, it is education ministry, it is finance ministry, because there are different elements to traffic it's safety. It's the whole Lebanese state at stake. Here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
so at least from my end, what I'm trying to do is first of all, make sure that there's a consultative process between the interior and the NGOs who are working on traffic safety issues. And we've opened that kind of dialogue at least to uh, bring them on board to some of the suggestions that we can implement. Second, I've uh, reactivated uh, this uh, commission, the Traffic Safety Commission, so we're now meeting. We've set up a strategy. This strategy has been presented to the Ministerial Committee and has been accepted. This stra strategy basically puts forward a plan, yeah. you know, in terms of driver's tests, which is dismal, in terms of uh, the maintenance of the roads, in terms of uh, there's no driver's test. Exactly, in and terms <laughs> of tra traffic violations, in terms of the point system for when there is a violation of, uh, of you know, driving or whatever traffic violation, that you have a point system so that there is direct uh, repercussion on, uh, on insurance for the driver in case he accumulates a lot of points. All of this is, all of these systems are not in place. So at least we have to launch the process, and that's what I've done. Yeah. Plus, we've done small, small initiatives like uh, I've asked all the um, police to, uh, on Fridays and Saturdays when you know the young go to the pubs, to ensure that uh, yeah. they are being stopped and they are. That is uh, the only time there's traffic in Madam Khayr, and I'm happy because that traffic is saving lives. Yeah. That's not double parking. But we have to make sure that they're not driving under the influence, and that's why we've asked to do random uh, yes. sort of uh, checkpoints, make sure that uh, the drivers, the young people, are not driving while drunk, so we have yeah. these inhalers. So there are, there are some things we can do, yeah. uh, and we're trying to do that. Import, the most important thing is to change the attitude of the people. But that's so the driver's education, education of, you know, when you're behind a car, you're basically driving, uh, it could be a weapon of some sort. This you're is a, right. a, a vehicle that can, you know, kill people. But what about attitude and also accountability? Because the psycho driver who's threatening hundreds, thousands of lives gets away with it. What does it take to get that person arrested? that is life-threatening they and get we, arrested uh, do they though because I there's dozens of them on the highway every night and, and they're speeding past each other they're it's yeah. like they're playing a video game so they get speeding uh, tickets yeah. uh, and they pay a hefty penalty if they can but afford that's it. not enough yeah they can that's afford not it. enough sometimes they don't pay the hefty penalty they try to get away with it Sometimes they're stopped, sometimes they're not. But the penalty, the financial, whatever, cost of a violation is not enough. And it's not even just speeding. It's their, the way they drive. Yeah. It's, it's the whole, I mean, this is, <laughs> you need to, there are, by the way, the, the country of UAE has now, I've been told, has introduced a whole, uh, I don't know what they call it, like a system to, mm change the behaviors of people. Yeah. Driving is one of them. So they've like instituted this program where they try to educate people about, uh, you know, about certain things because it is, it is a behavioral problem. And behavioral problems have to be addressed through education. 
So they've, they've pro designed a whole program around changing the behaviors of, of people, one of which would be driving. So we need to, to work on awareness raising. We need to basically uh, try to influence the behaviors of people when it, they're driving. It's one of those areas that I think doesn't matter where your allegiance is and what your politics are. People, aside from these crazy drivers, all want to have a safe drive home. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a divisive topic, so that's the symbolic gesture. Um, I'm going to leave security just for a bit because I want to tackle Tripoli and Tripoli's economy today. You did a lot of work there. You, you did focus in heavily on Tripoli. The economic situation today in Tripoli, is it healthier than it was when you left? To a large extent, yeah. I think the situation has improved. I mean... I, I took office in 2015. That's when I was appointed as chairman of the Tripoli Special Economic Zone. So between 2015 and 2019, I think Tripoli has improved. Has improved in terms of more people coming, at least, because... Does anyone go back? What do you mean? So the Tripoli residents, and like us, mm. who only visit relatives and don't see ourselves reinvesting, our jobs and our, our financial security there. Do you see Tripoli's, I would call it a diaspora, within Lebanon and outside the country, returning? Not today, yeah. not today. We're not there yet, but I think we can be. And I see a huge potential for Tripoli, and I, I think the, the international community and the government has started to see it. Yeah. I strongly believe that future growth in Lebanon will come from the north, because this is still a region that has not been exploited fully. There's a lot of untapped potential. And uh, we need to basically leverage yeah. Yeah. whatever resources and facilities are there. And there are a lot of resources, there are a lot of facilities that have not been leveraged fully. So I see Tripoli having a very bright future. Are we there now? Uh, are we here uh, today? No, we're not. Uh, but at least we're in the right direction. So. From what I've seen in the last two, three years, more and more and more people are talking about Tripoli. More and more tourists are coming to Tripoli. Yes, that more is true. More and more people from all over Lebanon are coming. They did not come You're before. Right. Yeah. Much more, more and more tourist facilities are opening up, shops and restaurants. And, but its history is preserved unlike other parts of Lebanon, particularly Beirut, the charm of Aswet, Jouwa, yeah. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's still regarded as, you know, as an exotic place to, to, to visit, and no other city in Lebanon has the same charm as Lebanon, as uh, Tripoli. However, the core problems are still there. Poverty, marginalization, lack of job opportunities. Uh, but still there. would you also include Tripoli's natives who are not in Tripoli. I mean, I know too many people from Tripoli that will never return. Not because they're afraid. And I don't think it's so much fear. It's that the opportunities there don't permit a return. Uh, yeah. So what we were trying to do was to uh, create large or mega projects that would draw investments. Because what Tripoli needs are investments. Yeah. And, and Beirut has that. Beirut has that. So yeah. we need in, to draw in investments, local investments, foreign direct investments, yeah. uh, and uh, create uh, you know, uh, job opportunities around these investments. Yes. 
And that was what the whole idea of the Tripoli Special Economic Zone was. Basically, it was to provide incentives to investments to come in. Uh, these investments would be uh, facilities such as uh, factories, plants, logistics services, uh, you know, uh, any the, kind of import. That, that untapped potential, which yeah, I think people exactly. are starving to work there. So, yeah. so try to uh, basically diversify the economy of Tripoli, which is very fragmented today and try to build in value-added industries, drive investments, create job opportunities, and uh, hope this will, you know, change the whole socio-economic, uh, you know, conditions of, of the city. So it, it, it will take time, yeah. but at least I, I see I see a light. You know, so I'm not going to tunnel. change my sigil from Tibene anytime soon. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Tibene might be the next best thing. You never know. I'm holding you to these words. <laughs> I hope I, I'm I mean, still alive. I'm still around. Well, I'll hold whoever I can to those words. The next Minister of Interior, by the way. So you're, you're Tibene? Uh, I am registered in Tibene. Oh, okay. And I think it's Sher uh, al-Kanayis. And I don't think there's any Knisi left on Sher al-Kanayis either. I'm not either. sure. I cannot vouch. Well, maybe there is. Maybe there is one. The... Uh, Two more subjects, and I won't take more of your time. Uh, you've said it publicly that the, the right to nationality passed through the mother without a Lebanese partner is a right. It should be respected, and it should be implemented. Are we any closer to seeing that happen? Uh, we're closer, but not there. Not there. Not there. I don't think we're there. But you still but firmly believe I think it. it will come. It will come. It will come. I don't think this is a right... Um, even reflected am, in the yeah. Constitution. I mean, the equal rights between men and women. So we can dodge the, uh, you know, the situation, but for how long? Eventually we have to get there. Is it, is it even written in law that it is barred for women? No, no, it's not. So no. this is just a practice more than a... It's a practice because yeah. of the concern that uh, if uh, Lebanese uh, are... Yeah, Lebanese women married to other nationals, yes. that this will change the whole demographic fabric of, uh, of Lebanon. And there is a fear. We have to, we cannot discount the fear. We have to basically admit that some communities in Lebanon are scared. So we have to allay their fears, uh, but without compromising on the right of women to get the nationality. And this is where we, I think, we need to find a compromise of some sort. I think we're there. There are, uh, I think, one or two parliamentary blocks that have presented, uh, you know, project uh, laws. Uh, and these will eventually be discussed. Now, where we'll end up being, I think we, it will be a hybrid of some sort. It will not be like an unconditional granting of Lebanese mm, mm, mm. Uh, nationalities to, uh, to children of Lebanese mothers, but at least we'll be uh, addressing 70 or 80 percent of, uh, of the problem. It seems to me like women should be the uh, decision makers when it comes to demographic fear and not uh, mm -hmm. a parliamentary committee that can't agree on it for decades yeah. and decades. Sure. But I'm, I'm I know that you support this and you, you are working towards it. A more contentious issue. Civil marriage is a complicated subject. And I know that your, your own words have 
maybe evolved. Mm. I'm not going to say you backtracked because I don't think you backtracked. I think you just, you said it the way it is, which is this is a larger debate than me. <laughs> and who are you anyway to either uh, reject or support it? I mean, you're just one person. It's not, it's not gonna come down to you. All that aside, I went to a civil marriage. I should say that carefully. I went to a, a ceremony, which is very different. But there was not one wrong moment that I saw there. And I'll say this in the most expansive way. The politicians that showed up are not the people you would think advocates of civil marriage, but they were in the audience. Uh, the couple that got married, even if they put it on YouTube, even if they sort of gone public, uh, they're not dangerous, if, if that makes sense. It, and put, putting your current role aside, do you see this issue evolving in a way that adjusts to Lebanese history, where there could be a hybrid solution, like the one you just mentioned, where it doesn't have to be black or white, where you don't necessarily have to travel abroad to get it, but if you're going to do it here, it should be done in a way that satisfies everyone, at least for the time being. Mm. You say as much as you want about this sure. issue. No, this is not a hybrid. This is either yes or no. Either civil marriage is allowed in Lebanon or not. But a woman's right, you just said, is... Yeah, that's different, because you can, you can put certain restrictions. However, it's, it's, uh, I mean, so the, this, couple, this couple can have a civil marriage ceremony, but will it be... Uh, can it be implemented? because there is no civil marriage law. So they can marry in front of a notary, but can I register this marriage? Uh, how will I execute this marriage, really? Because there is no law that tells me what to do with this marriage. Can I so I can register, but then yeah. the registration would not have uh, you know, the legal basis. Let me pick your brain. This newsworthy event in 2012, yeah, this they did, and it was registered. Yeah. However... And they did it by withdrawing their respective sect at the Ministry so of Interior. it's withdrawing, it's not cancelling, and this mm. is where the issue mm. is. So you can withdraw. You can say, I, I want to basically not mention my religion yeah. uh, on whatever... Yes. Uh, but this is not uh, annulling uh, the religion. So when you don't annul the religion, still the whole issue of which, what is the legal basis for the implementation of this marriage? Okay, let me give you an example. Suppose you want to get divorced. How, how would they get divorced? I don't have anything. They don't have recourse to a civil marriage law that tells them that they can uh, get divorced in front of a notary. But what about that couple that did manage they, What to they do ended up doing yeah. was to go back and have a, a, a religious marriage because it was... Oh, did they? Yeah, they did. Like six or seven of those who did the civil marriage and got registered, more than half had to resort back because 
the implementation of day to day, for example, inheritance tax, custody. Um, or even know. maybe the, the children's uh, sect at birth. Exactly. But does that speak more to structural problems that are... What you need is mm. you, cannot, you cannot do it halfway yeah. at the civil yeah. marriage. Yeah. You have to have a civil... Uh, because in the constitution, it says uh, that all uh, issues of uh, personal status law is based on religious governance. Yes, right. And everything else is civil. That's true. Yeah. So, so so if I need as a personal status administration, I need a recourse. I, the only recourse I have is the religious uh, whatever uh, structures. So I need a civil law. I need a civil marriage law. And the only way we can do a civil marriage law is for it to be ratified in parliament. Would that be something that you would... So it's not just making a statement. But, making a statement sure. does not... Okay, okay, we're making a statement, but then come implement it. Yeah. So I have to look at, you know, at not just by making statement because I, everybody knows where I stand on this, but as, as a public sector official, I have to do more than just allowing people to make a statement. I have to make sure that their, their rights under the law are, I, you know. So if I understand you right, if this was a consensus reached agreement and people were on board, you'd be happy to support it. And since it's not, you're reluctant because it's not particularly your role to speak on behalf no, of... It's more than that. It's my, not my role. I cannot allow people just to make a statement by registering one or two yes, marriages yes. because this is a huge statement yeah. and it's not up to me. This is, should be at the level of government and parliament. And second of all, as a, as a minister of interior, I have to make sure that, that the repercussions of the registration of a marriage are addressed, and they're not addressed today. Yes. So I, I can solve one problem, but I'd be creating another one. It is rare when a Lebanese tradition throughout history is respected, with or without the state functioning, <laughs> with or without war or peace. It's the objection <laughs> to civil marriage in Lebanon. There's always that argument that you take a 20-minute flight, you pay $200 round trip, you can get married this afternoon in Cyprus. And I don't know if that's really the point, but there is that case. So civil marriage is legal so long as it's not conducted on this territory. But I think, yeah. No, but I appreciate the way you, you, you are addressing it, which is the, it's, it's, a, it's a structural issue. It's not a one person or one exactly. voice. The final uh, moment that I want to address uh, there's a quote that I liked from you, and I'm going to quote you to you, if you'll let me. Lebanese deserve to live in a country where they feel good, and those abroad deserve to return. That's one of the reasons we need to improve things. I do not like a defeatist attitude or people who say things like, I do not listen to the news or read newspapers anymore, or those who do not care about what's going on. After all, we are all responsible for this country. Nothing to disagree there. I am in the Ministry of Interior, speaking to the Minister of Interior. I am biting the bullet by still believing that there is still a chance for this country to move in the right direction. But you lost a friend, a colleague, and I lost a father. And I think the natural reaction to look away and never come back here 
is something I will not accept, which is why I still believe in this place. I didn't get the chance to have an investigation, and I don't think there was an investigation. And if there was one, I don't think it was done properly. I know you were not Minister of Interior at the time, and maybe you would say, maybe you'd have the same reaction if you were the Minister of Interior at the time. But I don't think it's necessarily person, it shouldn't be the person in charge, it should be a structural issue. And I remember knowing the, deep down, moments after it happened, that it's just going to end this way. I don't know how to match that raw pain mm. with those words of wisdom, which is <clears throat> believe at all costs. And I want you to help me mm. at least give me that lifeline where I can maybe see some of these people on trial or maybe I can one day know the names exactly and have it not just private on the side, have it in a way that that assassination, which is the f most recent one, and in my opinion, the one that shook a lot of people to their core, what do I have to believe that these people will be punished and that I can live in a country where if I were to speak my voice, or if someone else were, a generation from now, a person wants to take the country to a better place, that they won't have the same fate, and that their murderers will get away with it, the state won't be there. On the smallest scale, it's hurting people in very different ways that they don't believe this country will help them. On the largest scale, your father is a semi-politician, an advisor, gets assassinated in downtown, and nothing happens. Help me navigate this. Oh my God. <clears throat> I'm not sure I can help you navigate. This is, as you said, something that you and you alone, probably your brother and mother can, uh, can relate to and and feel what, what goes through your head and what you're suffering from. I mean, I probably I would have had the same kind of you know, reaction as, as you have. And you're completely right. There's nothing I can say that will lessen uh, the, the, I don't know, what's the raw uh, pain that you have. But what is, I mean, obviously, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that we know sort of the general, general s side that has committed that crime, right? <clears throat> can we address, can we confront them straight, you know, straight out? We know we don't have the abilities to do that today. We don't. The same with Saad al-Hariri. I mean, it's, it's the situation is probably even worse. Um, so the only thing that one can hope is that whatever commitment your father had towards this country, the fact that he wanted to come back, the same with Basil Flayhan, the same with Rafi Hariri, they same had this passion, you. Same this with drive. you. Same, same with, with me. You know, 
that we need to continue with what they were trying to do so at least we can reach a, you know the result we want to reach and what they hope they, they would have. I mean, they do would you have, have similar reflection when you're sitting in this office? You lost three colleagues, and yet you are in a position of power. And as you just said, unable to take their murderers to trial or in jail. Does that ever hit you hard when you're sitting here that all this loss happened in the last two decades, less, in the last 15 years? And that even though you are now visible and in a in a position of real authority that it's it's way beyond your control and, and that someone like me who has no bone to pick with you can safely say I don't think anyone in this ministry even looked at the issue they didn't nothing nothing happened no I, I wouldn't say <coughs> I'm not I don't know yeah. I don't know whether they've looked or they did not look. Uh, I think even they, if they, they had not, they known, could not look. even if they knew, I don't know, probably the bigger issue overrides, yeah. you know, you know the loss of of your father's life or the loss of. I mean, this is something that would require a sacrifice on the short term in order to maintain a stability of some sort. So I think this is how people look at it, that there's not much we can do. Rather than flare up things, let's try to ride it out, and hopefully by building a state, we can get where we want. I think this is the way they look at it. It's not. This is, does not ease your pain, I'm sure. Uh, but unfortunately, politics is dirty. So it's state, uh, state rebuilding, conflict <coughs> management, and now it's survival. Yeah, it is. It's a shame that this is the post-Civil War era. But um, regardless, there is something that you said in your inaugural speech, which I loved. Uh, buried, buried deep and towards the end, uh, you did say that Basil Flehan and my father, Muhammad Shatah, did at least play a role in the way you approached this job. And I think it's, it means a lot when I still hear those names referred to, because over time people do move on. And I think they are very important names to remember. And when I you talk about Rafi Hariri, Basil Flehan, Muhammad Shatah, these are people of the same mold, and they've done huge stuff, even though probably their contribution is not known to everybody. But when you hear these names, what do people say first on? These were reformists, these were people of integrity, these were people who you know, surpassed most of the policy, uh, political people today existing. I mean, so it's when you, when, you, when you say these names, people immediately think positive stuff. And this is a legacy of some sort. You're leaving a legacy. And that's how I'd like to be remembered, frankly. Not pos by position, not by money, not by, you know, 
great things I've done, you know. But when people say my name, they think good stuff. They That's think of respect. Yeah. And you are, you are, you're saying things, and I don't know if they're off the cuff or if they're pre-planned, but you're open at least to debating issues. And I think, uh, I think I'm lucky to consider you a friend. With that, Same thank here. you. Thank you for your time. Sure. Hassan is a technocrat who has inherited authority over Lebanon's security portfolio. But even in her position, Rhea can only achieve so much, especially when it comes to her own independence, or for that matter, lack of independence, regarding regional issues that override what's left of Lebanese sovereignty and oftentimes dictate the way Lebanon behaves, both internally and externally. Now, the last few episodes, we examined the Lebanese state, the structure of that state, whether it's the civil marriage debate, whether it's the sectarian system Lebanon inherited, or whether it's basic infrastructure problems that affect Lebanon. We've been looking at governance. And what about the average Lebanese citizen? Or for that matter, the Palestinian refugee, the Syrian refugee, or the domestic workers living in Lebanon? citizens' relationship to the Lebanese state has unfortunately oftentimes been one of mistrust. And next week we'll be with Nadim Houri, who directed Human Rights Watch in Lebanon and only recently moved to Paris and now is running Arab Reform Initiative. We'll be looking at human rights abuses that affect Lebanese society, from defending minority rights to battling censorship and plenty of challenges in between, and how the state addresses those issues and whether or not the Lebanese state has evolved and improved since the civil war ended. Until next week, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.